0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast. I'm Brian Levinson. I created this podcast because I believe in the power of story, the power of journey. When we dive deep with people and find out their story, their journey, we can learn, we can steal, we can reflect on what worked for them and what may work for us. So I think we all have a story that we tell ourselves, and that story makes up our mindset. It makes up our approach. So when we listen to others and find out what stories they have, and what they've learned, whether it's facing adversity or having success, we can implement that and steal from it and put it into our own story. So what we'll do is we'll find out about people's mindset. What tools do they use? How do they look at the world? What's their approach to preparation? And what's their approach to performance? We'll talk to athletes. We'll talk to coaches. We'll talk to CEOs, actors, musicians, TV personalities, agents, anyone who really considers themselves to be a performer and anyone that I believe is elite at what they do. So I hope you enjoy these conversations. And remember, as they go beyond the surface, hopefully you'll go beyond the surface with yourself as well. Today we go beyond the surface with Coach John Torpy. Coach is the head lacrosse coach at High Point University. Previously, he also coached at Dartmouth and University of Denver. He also played college lacrosse at Ohio State University, where he was a three-year captain and was an All-American his senior year. I think you'll really enjoy our conversation today. He has an interesting perspective on building a program. He built High Point from its very inception, and he'll talk a lot about culture and what he's developed at High Point and what he looks to continue to develop. I think he's a lifelong learner. He's someone who truly is looking to gain knowledge from anywhere that he can get it, and you hear him talk about mentors along the way who have helped shape his mindset and his approach to coaching. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation as we go beyond the surface with Coach John Torpy. Coach, why don't you start by just tell me your journey, your your upbringing, what family was like. Uh, walk me through when and how you got into lacrosse, but. What was the family household like growing up, siblings, that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, come from a big Irish Catholic family, uh, born up in Buffalo, New York, raised in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and, um, you know, come from pretty modest upbringing in terms of uh, our family's background, socioeconomic background, and uh, was fortunate enough to um, go to a great school, Calvert Hall in Baltimore, and then went to Ohio State to play. And then uh, since my days at Ohio State, I've been in coaching. So it's been a good, nice, long journey. But I have an amazing family, uh, amazing wife, amazing children. My parents are incredibly invested still in what we do, uh, come to all the games. Uh, fortunate to still have two grandparents alive that are uh, very supportive. I have a brother who's been a great mentor and friend throughout my entire life. So uh, really good uh, family and um, just like I said, incredibly supportive of everything that I've ever wanted to do in life.
0: Older brother, younger brother?
1: Older brother. Uh, yes, he's got me by three years. And uh, to this day, if you put us both in the same room, there's still a good scrap that happens. So uh, very competitive growing up.
0: And so tell me what, like, take me to 12 years old. He's 15. Is he playing <laughs> lacrosse? Is What's that dynamic like? You guys, it, you know, it sounds like you guys were going at it a little bit. Uh, but what was that household like? And just paint that picture for us a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, all my, all my father, all his brothers were all competitive athletes. Um, my mom is a super competitive person and, um, you know, my brother incredibly motivated, incredibly talented, unbelievably smart. He knew at four years old that he wanted to be a meteorologist and that is what he is right now. Um, so he was, uh, on a pretty good path in terms of what he knew. He kind of knew what he wanted to do. Um, and, uh. The, the strange thing about my brother is he was like six foot five in like the eighth grade, and unfortunately for me, I was about four foot eleven until my sophomore year in high school. So uh, the battles were one sided for uh, for most of our our early years. But yeah, just everything. I mean, he set such a uh, a great example and such a high bar for me, both uh, academically and then uh, socially, just making good decisions and making sure that I did that. Um, and uh, was an easy guy to follow. So he set me on a great path. I followed him to Calvert Hall, and then, uh, you know, I decided to go to Ohio State. He was a Penn State uh, Penn State grad, and I decided to follow in his footsteps at a big, you know, big, big 10 football school. But uh, wasn't, you know, he was an athlete, but he, he, he more gravitated towards, you know, the, you know, the, really the sciences i mean he was a he was a meteorologist so a lot of math a lot of physics a lot of science you know and um you know we both kind of went our separate ways in terms of athletics when i went to high school i kept playing and he decided that after his freshman year he's going to focus on his schoolwork so um but still a lot of backyard football games um a lot of good old-fashioned you know other fisticuffs that happened and uh, I wouldn't have asked for a better uh, a better person to mentor me and a better family life growing up.
0: And you talk about being four foot 11, and I don't know if that was serious <laughs> or if that was a joke. Uh, but so you were small growing up, what was that like uh, coming from someone who's always I was always the smallest of my friends and I think for me it, it developed a toughness. I definitely had a Napoleon complex, maybe still do. <laughs> Uh, but what was it like being being undersized or small and also identifying with being an athlete while being small?
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was funny. I mean, uh, I look at the way kind of recruiting is right now in our sport, and you've got guys that are you know freshmen in high school making decisions on where they're going to play college lacrosse. You've got eighth graders being forced to make decisions. And, you know, I look back on who I was, and, you know, as a, as a freshman and as a sophomore at a really competitive high school, there wasn't anybody that was interested in taking me, you know? So again, that, that kind of develops that chip on the shoulder type mentality that I feel like has followed me, um, and been a part of who I am, you know, always trying to prove people wrong, both on the field and off the field in the classroom as a person. And, uh, I definitely, you know, developed a lot of that just from being a little undersized and, and, um, you know, just always feeling like I had something to prove. And, uh, like I said, that's, that's something that, I try to instill in our guys and something that I try to instill in our staff just to never get lethargic and, and, you know, become complacent on what we've done in the past. But, you know, always feel like you have a little a little something out there that you need to get a little better at.
0: Do you look for that in recruits?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, I look for that in recruits, and I look for that in the, the parents of recruits. I think for us, you know, maybe more so than most other schools, we really try to bring in a parent, um, you know, from, I don't want to say like a blue collar background, but a, a working parent who, you know, cares about the character, cares about the development of their child and someone that is, you know, willing to push their kid, you know, got, not give them compliments on things that they should be doing, but, you know, give them compliments on things that are extraordinary that they're able to do in their lives. So yeah, I love just recruits that feel like they have something to prove. And I just, you know, before we got, you know, Talking today, I was in with one of our guys who um, I think is going to be a high-end player for us, and he came from an exceptional high school where he was kind of second fiddle to a lot of guys. And uh, we talked about you know harnessing that chip on his shoulder and using it for good, and just you know constantly feeling like you know like I was in high school, I felt like I had to prove people wrong. And I said, "Do you have that?" And we had a great fifteen-minute conversation about it. So yeah, absolutely, look for it and um, you know talk about it and really make it you know a part of kind of our mentality as a team not not being complacent but always feeling like you have that that chip and that 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 you know just like I said that that piece to prove
0: I love it I I have a saying that I love which is complacency is the enemy of success and the moment you become complacent you're in trouble but I'm curious about the chip on the shoulder did the chip on the shoulder ever get you in trouble did you ever lead with the chip on the shoulder and, and maybe it it backfired or did has that been pretty sort of fail safe for you uh in your career
1: yeah, I think at times. I mean, at times you might push it over the edge a little bit too much. Um, at times you might come into situations where you're a little bit more guarded. You know, you're not as open as maybe you want to be. Um, I think that's where, it. you know, it might, it might hurt a little bit. But, um, you know, I'd say it's definitely helped, you know, nine more times out of ten than it's hurt. And, uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it's just something that just – I know different people have different drives and different people have different things that motivate them. But I can always go back to certain situations in my life where people said you can't do this or no, and I just get such a, a such a rush, and I know our guys do too. They take on the same mentality as so our staff, and our staff all shares that of just feeling like you've done something that you know people didn't think you were capable of.
0: Can you give us those? Can you give us those moments in your life and paint that picture and, and share that story uh, or those stories where someone said no or someone said you can't do something and. Uh, how you were able to overcome that and and make it happen?
1: Yeah, I think a a good example is just this program. You know, I came down here and, you know, at the time there weren't really a lot of programs in our sport that were (coughs) supporting it the way High Point was or ready to make a jump and, and be, you know, go from a good to great program very quickly like this school was ready to do. And uh, coming down here, um, there was a lot of people that are like, are you sure you want to do that? Is this really what is the best thing to do in your career right now with some other opportunities that have come available? And for me, um, there were people that were like, don't go down there. There were people that were like, you're crazy, you're not in a conference. You know, there's a lot of things that are, that are, that are against you down there. Um, and I, I just, again, I use that as a motivating factor. And it's nice to talk to recruits and say with all the people that said no, Uh, there were some really significant people that said yes, that, you know, knew who I was or knew who our staff was or knew the kind of guys we were bringing in that came into our corner. And, uh, those people now are still very close. And again, I think about those other people that doubted us and and they, they do, they do drive me. I mean, it's not my only motivation, but it is, it is a piece of motivation that I definitely
0: use. Yeah. We have a debate in my field of internal versus external motivation and, uh, I think if you look at the great elite athletes and you study them, which is what I do every day, you find that they're very high on internal and they're also very high on external. So they want to fulfill their potential internally, but they also externally might want to be better than others. And I think that that combination is, is a deadly combination. Uh, I want to go back to your childhood a little bit because uh, I know of Calvert Hall. I know of Boys Laden, I know of McDonough. I know of Gilman. Uh, because I'm in the Washington, D.C. area and I know about Baltimore. But for those that don't know about lacrosse in Baltimore, that don't know about Calvert Hall, can you talk about being at Calvert Hall as a short dude, as a freshman and sophomore and wanting to play lacrosse? And also, I'm curious just how the lacrosse stick ended up in your hands, uh, especially because your older brother sounds like he he maybe could have been a, a heck of an athlete, but but was focused more on um, other things in science and science and academics. So, A, talk about Calvert Hall and B, uh, lacrosse and how that came in into your life.
1: Well, Calvert Hall, uh, it's, a, it's a really special place. I mean, it's an all boys uh, Catholic school, been around for, you know, 200 some odd years, I think 175, 200 years. And um, it's a place that is really a melting pot. I mean, you get a lot of kids there that are from the inner city, you get a lot of kids there that are. You know, from you know all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds. You get, um, you know, just your guys that are from you know parents of finance. You get the guys that are from parents that are mechanics. You get, I mean, just every kind of walk of life. And it was an athletic factory. It was an incredibly competitive place. So to get onto a varsity team, to get onto any team at Calvert Hall be successful, we had great coaches, great mentors, but it was a challenge. And uh, I feel like it was probably. A place that I feel like was almost like built for people like myself competitive people that had something to prove you know we were never the the the, the most pretty field the most pretty school the most pretty you know environment but we were just a tough scrappy bunch of guys that had come from like I said all different walks of life that you know kind of found this place this special place where we had incredible leaders incredible mentors and it was a great lacrosse school it was a great lacrosse school. It's, it's become probably a little better than it was when I was there. Uh, I think we won games more so because we were just a tougher team. I think now they're winning games because they're tough and they're extremely talented. Um, you know, So in that regard, um, just, just a fantastic place for myself. And, and like I said, super competitive, both academically and athletically. And uh, it's kind of the kind of school that I love to be able to send my son and my daughters to at some
0: point. And why lacrosse? How did lacrosse enter your life?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a pretty funny story. I had a neighbor uh, that lived in the apartment underneath mine uh, who had a stick, and I had never seen it. My father was from Jersey City. He didn't know what, really what it was. My mother's from Manhattan. Um, nobody in my family except for my Uncle Bill, I found out, I actually even played the sport. Um, and I just looked at it, and I watched this guy play, and it's it's such a interesting game. It's such a multitasking, speed, physical game. And uh, just growing up in Baltimore, it's around you everywhere. You know, so my father and I, even when I didn't play, we'd go to games at Loyola and sneak in there. We never paid for tickets. So at some point I'm probably going to get in trouble for that. Snuck into Hopkins, you know, went to high school games and, um, just really like fell in love with the sport. And it's funny, my father, um, and my mother were both nurses at a mental health institution. And my first stick came from my father taking it from one of his patients who was doing something to somebody else with it. And, um, he handed it to me, and I was like, "Oh my god! I can't believe I finally have one of these things." And um, I just at that point, I didn't put the thing down. I fell in love with it. It, it. You find out that it is a game where if you put time and effort into it, and you care about it, and you you know you you put the time into. Getting better, you can really thrive and you can excel. And uh, it's not a game where you see a lot of super high-end elite level athletes. You know that are, you know the guys that are capable of playing the NFL or the or the NBA or even Major League Baseball. Um, So you, you have a chance if you're a little bit undersized or you're not the fastest guy in the world. There's opportunities. There's positions. There's things you can do on the field that, if your skill level marries up to you know your ability to be able to be an IQ player. You have, a, you have a chance in that sport. And I think it was, you know, again, the right sport at the right time in my life and, and um, you know, just absolutely fell in love with all the aspects of it.
0: You said mom and dad were big into sports. What sports did they play and did they pass down any sports to you? Uh,
1: my mother didn't play any sports, but she was incredibly competitive. I mean, just with everything. And that was kind of the way we were raised. My father was uh, baseball, uh, your traditional sports, baseball, basketball, football, football. Um, my uncle played football at the Naval Academy. My uncle, like I said, played lacrosse at, uh, at Holy Cross. My other uncle ran track. And, um, you know, it was a competitive family of, of people that, you know, just was always on. You know, we were always going to Orioles games. We were always, you know, watching NFL games. We were always, you know, going to sporting events, doing things like that when I was little. And, again, my brother, growing up, you know, when he gave it up in high school, he was still a big, you know, athlete and he'd play a lot growing up. So it was just always around some of the most competitive games I've ever been associated with you know maybe weren't you know post-college or in college but it was just my brother and I you know playing in the backyard and my father having to cut the game short because the game would end in a in a cough, or the game would end in you know two guys yelling at each other so always competition everywhere
0: how do you cultivate competition and competitiveness at your program now
1: I think you have to make it a part of not everything you do. I think there's a time to slow things down and, and, and teach guys and, you know, do some stuff where guys are forced to learn and, and maybe not the most up-tempo physical environment to save guys' bodies and make sure that they're they're healthy and 100% going down, you know, into the deeper parts of the season. But, you know, whenever we have an opportunity to do an up-tempo or a physical drill, we try to make it competitive. And I think the thing is I'm a big – Talker. I talk a lot to our guys, and it's not always, hey, let's do better here, let's do that. I challenge our guys, you know, and our, our guys will tell you that I'm one of the, you know, one of the guys on the field that's talking smack as much as anybody else. And I've always felt like, as a competitor, when you challenge a guy with your voice and you can back it up with your actions, you really find out what that guy's about right away. You know, so whether it's us in the locker room busting a guy's chops over his grades or it's us out on the field, you know, talking to the guy about what he did wrong or what he did right and making sure he does it again. Um, When you challenge a guy, uh, whether it's through words or through actions, I think you find out right away if that guy is the kind of competitor that's going to keep going at you or he's the kind of competitor that's going to fade away. You know, and for me... The guys that tend to fade away with 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 the voice, the guys that kind of tend to fade away with with the lack of physical pressure or maybe an increase in, in in how hard you're coaching them, they don't tend to make it here very long. And we try to find those guys out in the recruiting process. The guys that can handle the heat with with your voice, the guys that can handle the heat with actions, those are the guys that I wouldn't even say like thrive, you know, are good here. They thrive here and they end up loving it here. Um, and that's the kind of guy that I want to surround myself with. So competition is breeding practice. It's breeding in recruiting. Um, it's, it's, it's a part of everything we do. I mean, if we're raising money, it's there. If we're getting grades, it's there. It's how we reward our guys to get good grades. It's, the, it's maybe the punishments we give guys that don't give, get good grades. And it's, you know, the guys in the locker are busting their chops. It's just always there. It's always around. It's never something that we, you know, we ever put out. It's always a light that's shining in everything we do.
0: So you were brought up with this competitiveness take us to Ohio State and your career there and what it was like for you as a player and then I'm going to get even more into your philosophy, the culture that you're building and that you've built. but I want to find out what kind of player you were and maybe if you could start in high school and talk about the type of player you were and then transition over to college and in Ohio State and I really want to find out about your mindset your mentality and if it, if there was a specific mindset or if it shifted when you got to Ohio State but Walk me through your lacrosse journey a little bit.
1: Yeah. um, As a high school player, I wasn't very good. I mean, I went from being a small guy to a big guy. I think I had to figure out kind of how to use my body. I think I had to use, you know, figure out how to work. Um, I was very fortunate in high school to have a mentor who's still the coach there now, Brian Kelly, who was an All-American and a national champion at the University of North Carolina. was on that undefeated 1991 team. And he would always talk to us about kind of what he did and how he went from high school to college and how the transition was and how hard it was. And I never fully understood that. Uh, I always was like, you know, it's, it can't be that hard. It can't be that different. You know, we're playing against teams here at Calvert Hall, like St. Paul's and Gilman and Loyola and boys Ladden that have 15, 20 division one guys on there. How much different could it be? So I would say I didn't really learn how to work until I finally got like a wake up call Um, going into my freshman year at at Ohio State where, you know, the coach said, listen, you got to lose some weight. you got to come in in better shape. And I sat down with Brian Kelly and said, what do I need to do? And he kind of gave me the path as to, you know, let's let's go on this track. Let's start working out a lot harder. Let's start running. Let's start doing these things. And um, it was at that point where I started to become, you know, a much better player, a much better leader, a much better worker. And that really bled over to my time at Ohio State. I think at Ohio State, you know, if you talk to guys that I was able to play with, I think – Probably be defined as a maybe a smarter player than I was a you know a, a speed you know elite level athlete type player, um, but I made sure that I knew everything we were doing. Um, I made sure that I was able to mentor the younger guys into what we were doing. Um, a bit of a coach on the field type of person, you know, with our defense. Um, started to understand how far out I could go or how how you know tight I had to play to win my matchup, and uh, you know just really kind of started to, you know, think about things like being a player driven culture where the guys on your team look up to their leaders. They care about what you're saying. They believe in what you're saying. They see you do it. Um, and it wasn't just action it wasn't just words at that point. It was actions. And I think around my sophomore year at Ohio State, um, I looked at and I remembered some of the best leaders that I've ever been associated with or some of the hardest workers. I said to myself, I don't ever want to lose a sprint. I don't know. I never want to lose a run. I don't want ever, anyone to ever question my decision making and what I'm doing. I want to be a guy who people can look up to and go, That's what I want to be like. And uh,
0: why was that? You know, inspi- why was that inspiring to you at, in college? Because, I mean, you probably see it. There are some people that just don't want that pressure or don't want that take that on and that ownership. They just want to play lacrosse. What was it that you think uh, attracted you to leadership? and uh, working hard, and why was that inspiring for you?
1: I just wanted to be great. I mean, I just wanted to be the best person I could be, um, you know, again, and talking to guys like Brian Kelly and hearing people talk over the summer and watching what, you know, some of the best guys. And again, one of the benefits of playing in such a competitive league is you, you have the ability to interact with guys that are fantastic players and they're, they're very open in terms of what they say and what they do. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to the people in this sport that have taken me under their wing. were all not only great players, but incredible leaders and, and just people that you want to emulate And, um, I just said to myself, you know, I want to set incredibly high goals. I want to be the best defenseman that's ever played here. I want to be a guy that just wins everything. And, um, you know, it was just, I guess it was just a, you know, it wasn't any words that anybody said to me that, that ended up making me feel that way. It was just inside of me. I was like, this is an opportunity for me to tap out and do everything I can in a four year period. You know, to get myself where I want to be and to make sure that I can leave somewhat of a legacy at this place and somewhat of a legacy on the sport and kind of who I am to all those people who have given me the opportunity to be here. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was something that I, that I think about and I talk about a lot now with our guys and our recruits is, you know, my parents were making incredible sacrifices to let me be a part of that team at Ohio state, you know, in a non-counter sport where you don't have a lot of people getting full rise. You don't have a lot of people getting significant money. I knew my parents were working around the clock. You know, my grandparents were doing things. Other people were involved and you know, had a vested interest in, in my success and I said, I'm going to make sure that not only for myself, but for all those people around me, I'm doing everything I can to, to you know, make this experience the best that I possibly can.
0: There's two themes that come to mind as you tell your story. One is gratitude for Coach Kelly, gratitude for your parents, gratitude for your big brother. And I just think gratitude is, is a massive, massive thing. And I'm sure as you think about your culture, you want guys that are grateful for the opportunity to play at High Point. And I've talked about this previously, but... Gratitude and complacency are the complete opposite of each other. And I think sometimes people think that they are like gratitude, gratitude can uh, turn into complacency and that couldn't be further from the truth. If you're grateful, you're not going to be complacent. Like you said, you're going to use those four years and you're going to work your ass off and you're going to do everything you can to fulfill your potential. So I think gratitude is such a massive skill to have and to develop in us as humans. And the second thing that I'll tell you is a quick story I was at the MLS combine and I was interviewing a kid and I asked the kid, like, where do you want to be eight years from now in your career? And he said, I want to be the captain of an MLS team. And I was like, why? Like most, most people when I interview them for the NBA combine or the MLS combine say all-star, you know, averaging this points <laughs> a game or scoring or doing this. And he said, I realized that for me, Soccer, what I love about it is being able to lead people and help people. And, you know, that's what I love getting out of soccer is when I'm part of something bigger than me. And I was like, that is a next level answer for a 22 year old. And I don't know if that kid will be successful in soccer, but he'll be successful in life because that's the type of kid that will find a way to impact business or medicine or law or wherever it will be because he has a vision and a purpose for what he's doing. And I think back to your college experience and there was purpose in what you were doing. And passion is something that is easy in sports. And don't get me wrong. You probably have lacrosse players who aren't passionate about lacrosse. I've been around football players who aren't passionate about football. But sports, generally speaking, if we compare it to accounting um, or engineering or architecture, you know, you're you going to find people that are more passionate about sports. But I think a lot of times what people lose is, is purpose and not having purpose. And, you know, it's hard to be passionate if you lose three games in a row or if you get benched for three games in a row or you get hurt. Uh, But purpose and meaning, I think that that can help you survive when the passion might waver or when winning doesn't happen. And I think, you know, when you look at your experience in college, there was true purpose in what you were doing at Ohio State. And you talked about leaving a legacy there and wanting to leave something better than how you found it. And I think that's just so valuable for all of us because it's easy to follow our passion, but it's a lot harder to find our purpose. And when we find that purpose, it just is so impactful. Um, Absolutely. So you leave Ohio State. Obviously, in in the description of who you were as a player, it sounded like you used your mind a lot at Ohio State. And you you watch film and you tried to learn the game and understand the game and the angles and just be a smart player. Were people already in your ear about coaching in college, or was it something you hadn't thought about at that point?
1: Well, it's amazing. I, I had a, I had another coach at Calvert Hall who, you know, basically my junior year had such a high impact on who I was as a person. And uh, I'm glad you brought up like gratitude and being thankful because I feel like that's it's one of the most underutilized skills that you could potentially you know give back to your parents that have helped you. And it's an exercise I do with our guys every year. It's sending an, it's sending a note. You know, to our, you know, to our parents, when our guys first get here to say, thanks for all that you've done for us. You know, it's a, it's the gesture of when our guys talk to, you know, uh, talk to the team. I say, please share that with your parents. It's, it's things like that, that I think is just,
0: Can I give it's you, a mess. Can I give you a, a little piece, a cool piece? I'll send you a video on this. There's research done that showed um, that when people write the letter, their happiness increases because gratitude is linked to happiness. So they they test, they brought these people in a room, they test their happiness before they write the letter. Then they test their happiness after they write the letter and they show an increase in happiness. What's really cool. And maybe you can add this to the exercise is when you pick up the phone and call a person and read the message out loud. Have you guys done that before?
1: No, we have not.
0: It's next level. I've done it with like (laughs) badass athletes, like wrestlers, football players, lacrosse players. And you see these tough dudes Maybe a little tear starts rolling down and I always ask them, I say, what, what was that like for you? And they always say, man, it felt so good like to deliver that message to that person. And then I always say, well, how often do you deliver that message? And they're like, I really don't. We just, especially dudes, like we just don't do that. We, we, <laughs> yeah. we don't deliver that gratitude. And what's really cool, so the research found that the happiness increased even more when we called the person and delivered the message. And one of the things I often say is I say, what do you think is going on on the other end of the phone? And they said, well, I could hear them like tearing up or afterwards they just said, thank you, I love you. And especially with guys, I think having that, taking that gratitude and putting it oh. on steroids and having a happy group and understanding that it's not just happiness it's also leading to success because when we're grateful to be here we're showing up for our workouts at eight in the morning and we're into it and we're showing up for practice we're watching film and we're actually like it's, it's something we get to do it's not something we have to do it's massive so i love that you do that and i'm, I'm gonna push you to take it to that next level and i'll send you that video because it's it's next-level stuff, and it really they, – they did research and quantified this stuff, and they showed a correlation between gratitude and happiness. So
1: I'm, no, I it's love amazing.
0: That. I love that you do that. So you were talking about the parents and sharing it with the parents and sharing the game that way. Um, so what are other tenants that – Oh, sorry, let's go back. Coaching, you were talking about your junior uh, high school uh, coach. So did he inspire you to coach, or did he – what was yeah. that?
1: Yeah, it was my junior year in high school, and, um, you know, it, it just – the impact that he had on my life was uh, was immense. And I, don't, and I don't even think he realized it until after I graduated. Um, but he was a person that essentially said, hey, listen, I think you have the opportunity to go to college. And I think you have the opportunity to play at a pretty high level. And it was really the first time in my life that anybody had ever said that to me. At that point, you know, the impact that he had on me kind of changed the way I saw things. It changed the way I attacked school. It changed the way I attacked my life. I still don't think I was anywhere close to the worker that I was going into college. But it but it got me off the couch. It got me, you know, thinking about playing. It got me, you know, motivated to do some different things. And I said to myself, wow, if that guy could do that for me, I'd love to have that impact in somebody else's life and be able to hand that gift to somebody else. Do you remember, that,
0: do you remember the place where you were where he delivered that message or was it a constant message? Or was there, like, a moment where he sat you down and, and really, like, talked to you and get, how – can you remember that? Is How specific can you be?
1: Yeah. I mean, the first time he said it to me, um, and it was funny. I, I, again, I, I had aspirations of playing, you know, lacrosse at Calvert Hall. I'd always like looked up to those guys and I mean, the guys that were freshmen when I was there, I mean, we're just, they were gods, you know, to the guys that were at school, there, playing in front of big crowds and doing amazing things and going to great schools. Um, but I went, I, I'd literally, you know, I would, I get dropped off by my parents and then I would take a Baltimore city bus back to their work in the summer. And, uh, they dropped me off and I'd go to these lifting sessions and, you know, to start, it was just myself and like 40 guys. We'd go in there and we'd lift in the heat of the summer next to the pool. It must've been 110 degrees in this place. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I went down there to be around these lacrosse guys because I was like, man, if I'm around these guys, maybe I'll learn something or maybe the coach will see that I'm doing something and maybe he'll give me the opportunity to play here. Um, and at some point, you know, we would go outside and we'd play wall ball or we'd, you know, play with each other, uh, play, play lacrosse or like do some sort of drill shooting, whatever it was. And um, he just came up to me and said, hey, you know, I think you could probably play on the varsity this year. And I, I was like taken back by it. I was like, oh, my God, I didn't have a ch- chance to play at that level. And then he sat me down in the office probably, you know, four months later uh, during the season or not during the season, but during the fall. And he said, hey, I think you have the ability to be able to play. Uh, at the Division One level, you should start looking at some schools. Um, and it was just like it was—it was such a cool gift for someone to give me, and it was such a cool message to hear. Um, you know, a kid who, again, was four foot eleven and a little midget. You know, basically growing up and not having anybody look at him and say, "You know, you can do anything." Positive. To have somebody that said that to me, um, it was—it was—it was a great wake-up call, and it just. Really motivated me, and I said again, like if I have somebody like this in my life that can do this for me, imagine what my impact could be on other people. And I'd always wanted to be a professional athlete. I always wanted to play sports or be around sports. Um, And I said to my parents, "I'm like I think I want to be a coach, you know, when I when I when I graduate." And it was my career path from my junior year in high school until I graduated from Ohio State. And then I was fortunate enough to get offered a volunteer coaching position at Ohio State when I graduated. But I decided to take another job at at Denison. Um, out in uh, out in Granville, Ohio, work with a guy named Mike Caravana, and just at that point, just fell in love with the impact that I had on the guys and just what I was doing every day, and, and said, "I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this from a from a you know from a compensation standpoint financially, but man, I'm going to try to do it as long as I can." And I've been fortunate to to continue to get opportunities here.
0: So, talk about your journey to High Point and and what you've established there, and just cue us into. How you ended up there, and, and what it's been like since you've been there?
1: Yeah, I was uh, I was at Dartmouth College up in New Hampshire, and uh, I was there for two years. Um, and, and previously, was at the University of Denver for five years. Um, and at Dartmouth, you know, really loved it up there. My family loved it. Um, amazing school. Really neat area to raise your kids. And uh, a friend of mine um, who was uh, the soccer coach at Denver, and is now the soccer coach and head soccer coach at Wake Forest. Um, I called him up and I said, do you know anything about this high point? They're starting a lacrosse program down there. And he goes, I do. And I know the athletic director really well. We worked together when I was at Wake, you know, when he was an associate head coach there. And so I just took a look at it and didn't know what to think. Um, you know, I, I I, had just on a whim, I said, you know what, I'm just going to pick up the phone and call this athletic director and just see what the deal is with this place. And uh, after about an hour and a half conversation, I said, what an amazing guy. Um, you know, it's just definitely uh, – a, a really intense leader, a guy who was, you know, you could tell was going to become a mentor and a guy that, you know, I respected from the second I got a chance to talk to him on the phone and heard amazing things. And he said, Why don't we get you down here? So I flew down here. Got a chance to walk around the school. Got a chance to see the area. Got a chance to just experience everything this place had to offer. And I had interviewed. I had been offered other positions in Division One as a head coach. I had been turned down for other opportunities. And I was kind of that was the next phase of my career was to get a get a great job and, and go somewhere and be able to run my own program. And with all the places I had been, there was always something that I said. I just feel like something's off here, you know. And, and I don't know if this is exactly what I'm looking for. And when I came down to High Point. And I met the people that were here and I got a chance to meet the president, saw his vision, athletic director, saw his vision, got a chance to meet some students that were here, got a chance to talk to some people that were associated with the school, whether they were working here or they were in the area. And uh, I remember calling my wife uh, from the Greensboro Airport on my way back to Hanover and just saying, uh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. This is exactly what I want. This is exactly the kind of place where I feel like we can compete at the highest level uh, we can compete for, you know, championships, both in the conference and the national level. Um, and it's a place where I feel like we're going to be able to recruit incredibly high-end kids that are going to be, you know, set up for the rest of their lives. And uh, from every day that I've been here, it's been the case. And uh, it's been such a blessing to have the opportunity to be a part of a school that cares so much about the sport, um, you know, working with a new athletic director that has just a great vision, that that, that wants to be great, like our former athletic director Um, a group of people and a staff that I just absolutely just think the absolute world of that are all head coaches and waiting and being able to be at a school that attracts just such amazing kids and such amazing parents that are so bought into what we do and believe in what we do, and uh, it's just been an incredible journey so far.
0: So walk us through what you guys do. Uh, What is it that you think is uh, the, the culture and the identity of your lacrosse program?
1: Yeah, I think it starts with our parents, uh, and I just got off the phone with him, and he's been an incredible friend and mentor, Andy Shea, who's the head coach at Yale, and I talk on you know weekly, you know biweekly basis during the season, and just you know shoot ideas off of one another. And I remember asking him, I said, you know, what differentiates your program at Yale? You know, you guys have gotten so good so quick uh, from some other programs that are very similar to you, both academically and athletically. And he said, it's the culture of buying with our parents. And um, I said, wow, that's that's incredible. That's it, huh? And he goes, we recruit amazing parents. We know that the kids are the byproducts of those parents. We understand that our parents believe in what we do. Um, and again, you know, when you are a little bit more of an aggressive personality, you know, when you challenge your guys at the level that we do, when you, you know, push your guys at the level that we do, we need parents that believe that we ultimately do care about their kids. We love their kids. We're doing everything in the best interest of their kids. And while you might not be, you know, happy with the way we convey the message sometime, the message is always real. Um, the message is always built on a great relationship of trust and doing what's in the best interest of their kids, you know, and like you had talked about the gratitude and the thankfulness, you know, it's not uncommon for us to, 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 to pull a kid aside or to pull a parent aside and just tell them one, we love them two, We, we, we thank them for what they do for us. We believe in them and whether they play for us or not, you know, we're going to be there for them and we're going to be someone that they can lean on. And, you know, some of the most amazing relationships with guys in our program have come from those guys that don't play, that I lean on incredibly hard to say, hey, what do I need to do to recognize you more? What do I need to do to make sure that we're you understand how important you are and how vital your role is to this program? And, um, you know, those guys that face a little bit of adversity when they're in college, whether it's through injury, whether it's through playing time, whether it's through losses, um, those are the guys that when they get into the real world, um, I think they're prepared for you know different personalities that they work for, different personalities that lead them. I think they're prepared for you know moments where things might get a little tough. And um, we try to instill in our guys, whether you're playing or not, you're one of our guys. We're going to care for you just the same, and your value to our program is immense. And I think the parents see that. I think they believe it, and it's the truth. And, um, you know, when a parent sees that you're invested in their kid's ability to not only be here and do well in school and do well in lacrosse, but you care about the internships you get that kid, you care about the job opportunities you get that kid, you care about attending their weddings, you care about, you know, sending them a note when they have a child or when somebody's ill, you're, you're reaching out, you're visiting them. It just, it, it makes this relationship work, you know, and it makes everything, you know, just means something so much more than just being a guy who blows a whistle and yells at guys out on the field.
0: There's so many things to chew on there. Uh, first off, the value piece is I – I knew you were coming around to that. Like Everybody wants to be valued. Uh, some people want to be positive feedback, negative feedback, but everybody wants to be valued, and that's in the business world. That's with coaches. That's with athletes. Valued is huge. And then the the parent aspect of it – Is fascinating because I get to see this at the high school and college level. So I work with both of those levels and the idea of recruiting the parent. I don't think I've heard that before. What I hear all the time is that those parents are a pain in my ass. Uh, I hear parents these days and all they want is little Johnny to be a superstar. And, you know, I hear so much bashing about millennials parents. And this term of millennials and the parents are are crazy today and all they care about is their son or daughter and they don't care about a team. And I have a couple thoughts on that. One being, there's a video of Bobby Knight on David Letterman 25 years ago. And Letterman goes, can you believe kids these days? They're soft. This is 25 years ago. Like we forget those of us that grew up in the 80s and 90s that like, 1992 is a long time ago, Um, and that's when this interview was. And Bobby Knight's like, no, Dave, it's not the kids. The kids are the same. It's the parents. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, all right, so the parents that he's referencing are now grandparents, and the kids that he's referencing are now parents, and it's the same and not to say that technology doesn't change us, not to say that the world doesn't evolve and things shift, but I think this notion that millennials are some alien breed of people that like, you know, are just any adversity that they hit, they want to transfer and everybody gets a trophy and all this stuff, I think a lot of it is is not real. Um, I do think that like any generation, you can find those people and maybe they're a little more prevalent today, but the idea that you are saying, let's go find parents that will buy in to what we're trying to do and believe in what we do, and if the parents are bought in, the percentage—it's not all—but the percentage of kids that are probably going to buy in is going to be higher. I haven't heard that before, and I think that's really bright. And high school is a little different because recruiting's not the same as it is in college. Although around me, high school basketball recruiting is and football, it it, it does happen. Um, but I think that's so interesting, especially in this era, like you said, where freshmen in high school are now getting recruited and giving, especially in your sport, getting offers and even eighth graders. And, you know, it, it's it's just starting so young. How do you predict what that ninth grader is going to be like when they're a senior? Well, let's go see how far the apple falls from the tree and see what the parent's character is. And like you said, there's going to be great high character parents who are not going to necessarily have high character kids, But I would bet the percentages are pretty high. So I think that's such a cool idea and concept. And oh, by the way, instead of running away from the parents, which I think a lot of high school college kids, college coaches do, let's embrace them. Let's make them part of our family. Let's make them feel valued. Uh, Not to say, like, you're going to talk to them every time their kid doesn't play, but... We're going to value them, too, and feel like they're part of our community as well. I think that's that's just next-level stuff. So I really appreciate well, you sharing I'll that. I'll tell
1: you this. I mean, we we, um, we we the other thing, too, is we lay out such a high expectation for the parents. I mean, we hand both the kids about a 120-page manual, and we'll hand our parents a 25-page manual that just lays out – what life is like as a Division One parent. And I know a lot of people don't want to do that. But for us, it's like this is our expectation. This is what we want you to be able to do. If you can't do it, then you're not going to be a part of our program. We make them sign it. And it just becomes – it literally becomes like a, a, an opportunity for them to reference things as things happen throughout the course of the season. And so, you know, for for me, I'm a, I'm a call it out when you see a type of guy. So there have been instances where, you know, I can see a parent – you know, and their facial expressions or what their attitudes like at a tailgate. And I'm the kind of guy that will call them right away and say, listen, here's the deal. You knew what the expectations were. We laid this out there for you. If you don't want to be a part of this program, let me know, and we will take your son, bring him in, and we'll, we'll cut him from the team. And, you know, I've never really had to do that here, but there's been other places where, you know, I've had to have conversations with parents that have said things like, why was my son such a failure, all based on playing time. And you lay out all the things that kid did when they were there, and all of a sudden the parent takes a step back and they go, you know what? I had no idea about that. And for me, um, I learned this from, uh, from one of my favorite mentors and a guy that I coached with, an uh, under under at Dartmouth, was Andy Towers. And one of the things he always says to the parents um, during the recruiting process, and I say the same thing to our parents now, is come in with the expectation that your son is never going to play and be pleasantly surprised when they do. Because if you come in with the expectation that this elite-level high school athlete is going to stay on the same trajectory and be an All-American and All-Conference, no matter what they do when they're here, whether it's they get an internship, whether it's they receive an academic award, whether it's they get in at a pivotal moment, whether they you know fulfill a spot, a, a, a spot on your scout team, you're always going to be disappointed in them. And I think for me as a parent, yeah, it's hard watching my eight-year-old son, you know, sit on the bench um but at the same time i feel like you take a step back and if that person's in an unbelievably competitive environment they're around the right people they're learning the right things and there's growth that's available to that person in that environment then what else can you ask for it's a disciplined environment where people care about them and they can grow up as an individual
0: it's entitlement versus gratitude it's that's it's really simple as that it's am i entitled to start I, I had one of my previous podcasts, I interviewed a guy and he said, Yeah, my he went to Ball State and he said, My freshman year, I thought I was a Big Ten player. I I I was I felt like I should have been starting and I thought I was the shit. And, you know, I some freshman and sophomore year I just messed around and I sucked. <laughs> and it wasn't until my junior year where I actually like appreciated being part of the program and I got with it. And he's like, it's one of his big regrets in life because he's like I didn't fulfill my potential because I wasted those first two years because I was stupid. He's like, I was just, I I was naive and dumb and a 19 year old kid and I was just being dumb and immature. And, uh, so I think it's really interesting. Uh, as can you give me one other piece that's in that manual that you would share, uh, with the world? Like what's one thing that's in that manual, whether it's the player's manual or the parents manual that you think it's like that, that's some, some great knowledge.
1: Um, it's a lot, but I mean, the, 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 we write a little piece on adversity and what kind of adversity kids face in college. Um, like I said before, it's playing time, it's injuries. It's you know issues off the field. It's, you know, issues with family members falling ill, and it's just how we help in those situations and what to expect when the kid gets to that situation. It's that, you know, time when maybe it's a, a playing time issue where you have an opportunity as a parent to say, you know, your son, maybe your son calls home and is like, I don't think coach is playing me because he doesn't like me, where you can say, no, that's ridiculous. You know, re- reference back to the manual where coach says this is going to happen. You know, and there's another thing in there, and uh, I learned this from uh, Frank Federac. again. Like, I think all good coaches are just incredibly good thieves, you know, and just look at what other guys do and say, wow, this guy's got this dialed in. Let me take this and use this. And, you know, we're, we're sitting there, and, and I'm one of those guys that wants to learn in every – Opportunity that I that I that I take part in, you know, whether it's talking to my staff, I want to learn from them. Whether it's talking to my players, I want to learn from them. Um, and I remember talking to him, and I remember him saying that you know their typical freshman fall starts off at a five with their players, and everybody's looks after the first scrimmage, and you go, wow, this guy's really good. This guy's going to be a good player for us. Then all of a sudden, you start to introduce things, you know, and you start to get to this point where you start erasing the mind of all these habits that are formed that are, might be negative. And you start overloading this kid with information. And so the scale goes from a five and it dips down to a zero in the first two weeks. And that kid is just overwhelmed. And they're thinking about leaving and they're thinking about how they made the wrong decision. And they're thinking about they're in the wrong place and, man, they're not good enough to play. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe three or four weeks in the fall, that light switch goes on and they're like, I get this now. This is making sense. And by the end of fall, you know, you're back to a five. And then by the time the season hits, you're, you know, at a six, at a seven, and you get back to that level that you know you're capable of playing at. Um, but it's just little, like, tidbits of information like that. It's a story that, you know, Dom Starrs, the head coach at Virginia, who I've got so much respect for, published in U.S. Lacrosse magazine about, you know, just the support that he needs to show for his son that, you know, is now a Division three player, um, that, that, you know, he has to basically take a back seat and not coach as a national championship coach, call Steve Kadelka, who's a coach at Lynchburg and give him ideas and offer information and what he can do to help. But he just needs to sit back and again, understand that his kids playing for an incredible mentor and a person that he's going to grow under and just, you know, realize that that's a huge victory in life because so many people don't get that opportunity. But I mean, the manual is just, it's 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 just a great resource manual for our parents.
0: What's more important for a parent that you made the right X and O or that, you helped your kid learn from adversity. I mean, I I would show me the parent that's like, yeah, you know what? It's the X's and O's. That's that's it. And, and I'll show you a parent that I don't want around my program, right? Uh, the other really cool thing that you have done is setting expectations around mindset, setting expectations around approach. And it's interesting because when you were talking about that number system and a guy being a five, I've been around a lot of, teams at the high school and college level and what I've seen consistently is like freshmen sometimes will come in and they'll play great um and they'll just contribute they'll come off the bench and you know have an impact and they'll be the darling of the coaches eyes because they can do no wrong because they haven't been able to do anything wrong yet Uh, but the sophomores like in the high school and college level those are the ones that I often see struggle and they struggle because now expectation, like you said, now they're, they have all these playing time expectations, scoring expectations. And by the way, some coaching staffs also have that. And instead of trusting the process of improvement and growth, now they're just focused on the outcome and awards and accolades or professional or whatever it might be. And you see that happen all the time. And I'm sure you see it in your program. And they have to figure out and learn how to deal with that as a sophomore. And then once they become juniors and seniors, now they are more comfortable in what they're doing and how they're doing it. And I think outsiders that aren't involved in sports don't understand that because they're just like, the kid's talented. Like, he should just go from being good as a freshman to being great as a sophomore. And they miss this this human element of things that – a kid often puts on themselves, and then when you take that into account and then you might have a parent or a coach who also is putting other stuff on them and they have to learn that. And a lot of times they just have to go through it and, and learn from that process. And a lot of them, that's why you see people transfer after their sophomore year because it's just changed. And now they're like, Oh crap, I need to go and do something else. Cause this didn't work. Uh, when reality is it might actually be part of the process of learning and growing. Uh, do you have I any know. thoughts on freshman, sophomore in that transition?
1: Say that again, sorry.
0: Any thoughts on the freshman-sophomore transition and, and what you see?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, it is. You, you have this, like, just there are people out there now that just want everything, and I think it's the norm right in front of them. They want it immediately, the instant gratification stuff. And um, you do have to talk about the process. You do have to just – continually bring guys in and reaffirm them that, hey, man, you're doing really good things, you know, and if you have the ability to film kids on the field and and show them what they look like, you know, in September as opposed to what they look like now, you know, if you can chart certain things like, you know, where they've they've come in the weight room, you know, where they are from a speed perspective, what they've picked up on, um, you know, and you can remember those times when you were struggling a little bit as a freshman or a sophomore and kind of bottle that up and, and understand that there is growth there. I mean it's 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 tremendous and it's amazing to see guys just really just taking leadership in and just a, in just an ownership role and for us it's not just it's not just the on the field stuff I mean there are guys in our program that I would allow to talk to the team about certain situations they've faced in life more so than myself and I think you know one of the things that we've really prided ourselves on is being a player-driven culture where I trust our guys that are juniors and seniors, you know, and I think our freshmen and sophomores see that, that, you know, we're going to coach a freshman and a sophomore maybe a little bit more intensely, you know, maybe, you know, keep an eye on them a little bit more, but once you earn earn the trust of our staff and you get to the point where we believe in the decisions that you're going to make off the field, we believe in the decisions that you're going to make off the field, you almost allow those guys to coach, you know, and again, before we even sat down and, and talked today, I had one of our senior leaders, one of our captains, and a guy that I would feel confident leaving, you know, to go on a trip and hand the defense to him and know that he was going to say the same exact things we were going to say and hold the guys to an incredibly high standard. And, you know, it's been moments like that that I feel like create just an incredible bond between myself and our guys where I say, can you guys handle this? You know, or we're in a timeout and it's a pivotal part in the game. And I look at a guy on our team and I say, what do you think we should do here? You know, and it's it's stuff like that that just gives – our freshmen and sophomores, an idea or a glimpse into what their life's gonna be like if they stick it out and they work at it and they stay. And it's a, it's a situation in our junior and senior's lives to just transition into the real world and just wanna be a part of something that's bigger than themselves, but also, you know, work to the point where they're so good at something that they can take control.
0: Awesome. I'll tell you a quick story and then I'm gonna put you on the hot seat and just grow you real quick. Uh, <laughs> first of all, you're a Big Ten guy. So, University of Wisconsin basketball. I had an NBA scout tell me he walked into the gym one time. They were going to the final four and head coach is just sitting there on the sideline. The players are running practice and here they are in the final four. You know, this is like one of the most important things. And they're like, it, he, the, the scouts said it was unbelievable. He never saw anything like it. The players are literally doing the entire practice. And um, I think to your point, when you get to a point where you can entrust them and give them the autonomy and the freedom, but also the responsibility to do it it's next level stuff Um, so it was just a story that resonated with me as you spoke here's what I want to do next I'm going to do something with you called preferences so basically I'm going to give you a bunch of different ideas and you have to pick one or the other so you can't pick both so do you prefer preparation or performance
1: Uh, I say preparation
0: would you have answered it that way as a player
1: Um, no I wouldn't have.
0: And can you tell me how your mindset was different as a player when you were preparing, and your mindset was different once you stepped on the field to perform?
1: Uh, as a player, um I would say i was I was really into preparation. I was into it. I wanted to know who I was playing against. I wanted to know what we were doing. I wanted to know the ins and outs of it. But I felt like, you know, in order for me to perform at the level that I felt like I was capable of, I needed to be one of those guys that had every answer. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be a guy that people could come up to and say, hey, coach, you know, I say, hey, coach now, but, hey, you know, what do we need to do in this situation? I wanted to be the player that I aspire my guys to be.
0: So I'll give you a quick little thought. So my big thesis, my big concept is that mindset for preparation is different than mindset for performance. And what you just hit on is, like, I'm going to be really neurotic and watch film and understand everything I need to understand when I'm preparing, when I'm performing, I'm a little bit of a narcissist. Like I have all the answers. I know what to do. Uh, so in one sense you're questioning, in the other sense you're answering. And I think too many athletes stay in question mode and neurotic or perfectionist, uh, and don't get out of that when they're performing. And that's my job in a nutshell: is how do I help guys get into their performance mindset so that when they step on that field, they really believe that they are awesome. Um, no doubt. So that's. No doubt. that's
1: and I think a lot of that comes from our staff. I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot about just the the early week of, of a season and, you know, what preparation looks like on a Monday as opposed to what preparation looks like on a Friday. And, you know, you go by the, I thought, Pete Carroll's book when he broke down their game week and how they how they prepared and what they did. I thought it was spot on. We do the same thing, and we've taken a lot from him and Chip Kelly and all these great college football coaches to kind of make our game week be one in which, by Friday, you feel like you're invincible, and by Saturday, you're basically celebrating the opportunity to go out there and compete, you knowing exactly what's going to happen.
0: It's free. It's free on Saturday. No doubt. Uh, do you prefer coaching yes-sir players or why players?
1: Uh it depends. It's a it's it's a great question. I know I'm not allowed to answer both, but I like both at certain times. Um, I like yes sir guys when I know what I'm saying is 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 the end all be all and they need to buy in. Um, but when it's when it's on the field in practice, we go in the morning, so it's a little bit um, a little bit tight for time. I need yes sir guys, and we have a pretty pretty detailed plan in terms of what we follow. But when we leave the facility, okay, and we come back in for film or we sit down in my office. I love why guys. I don't like yes, sir guys at that point. I want them to understand fully exactly what we're doing. I think sometimes yes, sir guys can be a little bit more just, you know, let's get through this, but why guys can be a little bit more. I want to know why we're doing this and what, what it's important. And you know, the reasoning behind it.
0: Here's my thought. And I hadn't really thought about this until you said it is that a why guy can be a yes, sir guy. If you build the relationship and the trust I think it's harder for a yes sir guy to become a why guy, um, yeah. so that's just maybe my bias or, or my my. Thought I agree. Process. Uh, system or autonomy?
1: Ah uh, man, I don't know. I guess system. I mean, for us, I, it's I guess, you know. With all your questions, it's going to be a little bit of both. But uh, <laughs> I feel like. Um, you know, for us, I just feel like we've created something that allows the guys to be able to do things at a full clip and at their at the, you know, without really having a whole lot of questions. And I think when you have a system in place that allows guys to be able to to you know express themselves and allows guys to be able to you know kind of have a personality in certain situations, then you get the really the best of both worlds.
0: Well, I'll give you some of these. That'll be a little easier to pick. One uh, most <laughs> valuable player or most improved player say that again most valuable player or most improved player
1: wow that's another hard one I mean uh, you know we we do have a philosophy here that that, you know our, our main goal and objective is for guys to get better every day um, so, you know, if a guy's improving, then they're living the life of a guy that we, you know, we, we value, whether that guy is, you know, the first on the bench or he's the last on the bench. But, you know, the MVP is also a byproduct of that, a guy who's gotten to where he is by working hard and buying into what we do. So, um, you know, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say most improved because so many times like you look at those guys that are deep on your bench and how they cheer when a goal is scored or what their demeanor is like when things are things are going wrong or things are going well. I mean, that's the face of your team. Those are the guys that you need to make sure are the, the leaders in the locker room, the guys that believe in what you do, the guys that care about what you do because they're the ones that the people that are struggling are going to go to for advice when things aren't at its best. So I like the most approved guys.
0: Resume or eulogy?
1: Jeez, <laughs> um, man. That's a – in like what context? I don't quite understand that question. I mean, that.
0: Do you, do you prefer, is the resume more important to you or is the eulogy more important to you?
1: So the body of work, the body of work after, after they've finished everything. Um, I mean, I guess the body of work after they've, after it's all said and done. So I'd say the eulogy,
0: the way I look at that is resume is what I've done. Eulogy is who I am. Um, oh,
1: okay. Yeah. I like that's that. my
0: interpretation. And, And focusing the eulogy is more character. Resume is more accolades.
1: Um, This is deep, man. This is deep.
0: It's called, my podcast is called beyond the surface. So (laughs) I like it. it. It's gotta be deep, um, positive feedback or negative feedback.
1: Um, honestly, I think if you fall, if there's a fall in between, I think it's just being real. Um, you know, I want our guys to understand where they are and where they fit and what they're doing. Right. And, there is, there is There has to be an absolute balance between the two. I think negative feedback sometimes is, you know, looked at in a negative connotation because it, it's, you know, it's maybe it's the real thing. You know, it's what happened. It's you calling something out where I think, you know, if positive feedback is all you give, it's not going to be enough. And I think the balance of both, I think it's one of the things that people ask me, like what differentiates myself from other people? And I think I'm not afraid to tell a guy exactly what I feel at any moment and that sometimes might be derived as negative. It might be like, why, you know, where's the positive? But I am probably more of a negative personality on the field to fix things. I'm probably more of a positive person in the in the office to be able to say, hey, man, I really appreciate what you're doing, you know. And, and again, it goes back to that thankfulness and that gratitude and just allowing every guy on the team to know that they're an integral part of what we're doing here.
0: My take on that is, one, you mentioned football coaches and Pete Carroll. So, like, Pete Carroll, pretty positive dude. Bill Belichick, not so much. Two of the most successful coaches we've got in the foot in in the NFL. So I'm not Mr. Positive over here. Um, And I think you hit on something too, is if a athlete knows that their coach is trying to play mind games with them and trying to say one thing to get that athlete can often, uh, you know, you can lose them because they they're, they're human and they don't want you playing mind games with them. and, when I ask, I get to work with pro athletes, and I often ask, like, hey, tell me about your, the coach that you liked most. And they almost always will say the coach that told, gave me information that could help me perform better. And mm-hmm. they very rarely are like, that guy was just positive all the time or that guy was just negative. They're usually like the guy who helped me win uh, and helped me be better. And I think that's really a coach's job is to help them get from where they are to where they want to go. And, I agree 100%. And that's, 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 if you, whatever that road looks like is what that road looks like. Uh, but I give you hard, hard questions here because it, it's more fun. Uh, culture or talent?
1: Uh, culture, 110%. That's an easy one. I mean, for us, it's just it's building something strong. It's continuing to bring in the right people that are going to fit in that culture. And I just look back on my time you know, at Ohio State, and I think about all the amazing times I had with the guys that I played with And it's a gift I want to give the guys in our program, you know, so when I can go to a wedding and there's 37 high point people there, you know, one of our players that graduated or, you know, I can look and see that, you know, this guy's, you know, the the godfather, his kids, one of my players, you know, that that he became friends with when he was here. It it really is like the greatest gift, man, getting together with a group of guys that won a championship, celebrating that with them 15 years down the line, knowing that they're all still close friends, that they all still keep in contact with each other. Um, It's little things like that that, make you feel like you're doing a good job, you're bringing in the right people, and, you know, it's, it, it makes everything we do and the hours that we put in worth it.
0: Pumped up or calmed down as a player?
1: Uh, pumped up as a player. Yeah, I was uh, I was uh, just an ab- absolute crazy man. And, and, again, that was more so like, you know, when I was playing after college, when I had an opportunity to play in the pros for a little bit. Uh, when I was in college, uh, it was a complete flip side. It was more... Pumped early in my career, and after I started to understand and know everything, I would be a guy who would like go on like a three and a half mile run before a game and just like totally like calm myself down. But yeah, I'm definitely um, that was a short period, and I went right back to pumped after I was uh, after I was graduated.
0: You skipped over that you played professional lacrosse, but we uh, we'll save that for another podcast, I guess. Uh, prefer liked or respected?
1: Uh, I think respected. Um, I think early on, I wanted to be liked by everybody. And now, you know, again, you just try to be real and you try to be honest. Um, there's going to be a lot of people out there that just don't agree with what you do. So you're going to lose that like, but there's going to be a lot of people that just respect the fact that you're you know, being truthful and honest. And I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head with the fact that, you know, there are coaches out there that play mind games or coaches out there that, you know, maybe talk a big game or, you know, act like they treat their guys with respect, but, Respect is earned with trust. It's, 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 it's earned and, and you know, grown in uh, moments of honesty. And I pride myself on never ever doing anything to my guys that's going to hurt them. Never ever putting them in harm's way, and always letting them know that you're going to see exactly who I am that day. And I'm going to wear it on my sleeve, and you're going to know exactly where you stand and what you need to do. And and so that's 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 a big thing for me.
0: Definitely a link between authenticity and leadership. I mean, it's not it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that. Um, so I think you're you're spot on as well. Love winning or hate losing?
1: Uh man, I love winning. I mean, it, to me, it is just it's the greatest. I mean, I learn a lot from our losses, but to share victory with our guys in the locker room um, and our staff and after the hard work we put in, it feels so good. I mean, we will learn a lot from losing, and we do a lot of soul searching and digging when we do that. Um, but the thrill of victory is what you know just again it just keeps you going a lot of the times in the sport
0: risk taker or rule follower
1: oh a huge risk taker huge risk taker and i and i challenge my staff and our guys to be the same the same um i love when we can add personality to what we do um i love seeing guys you know take what we give them and add a little piece to it um and we will you know we'll be we'll always be one of those teams that's always looking for new ways to do things and challenging our guys to do that but when one of our guys brings a little personality to the way we play and adds in a physical aspect or adds in a challenging speed aspect or adds in a you know an IQ aspect that can take advantage of a, of a situation, huge, huge. I want our guys to fall in their face. I mean, I told one of our guys today who is literally athletically as gifted as anybody I've ever coached, but he always comes up short. I said, listen, man, my main goal and objective for you today is for you to fail so many times going forward than going backwards, and, you know, he did a phenomenal job of it, and it's like that aha moment where he's like, I, I get it. Now I understand this, you know, and I want our guys to have the freedom to just make mistakes, fall on their face, both as a staff. You know, I love handing the whiteboard to one of our assistants and saying, like, you give them something to do right now. You think of something that you want to give these guys. You know, if, you know it gives those guys ownership. It makes those guys want to be here more. And, um, you know, I think it's a reason why we've had so much continuity on our staff. We, we haven't really lost a whole lot of guys because guys love the fact that we give them the opportunity to be head coaches at certain times during the course of play, and we do that with our players as well.
0: Valued, right? Like, you go back to that. Like, as I think about themes that have come up today, grateful, valued, um, competitiveness we talked about, I think it, it's it's not, it, you know, it'd take me like an hour to crack your secret Recipe for success, but I mean, I think you're, you're on to all things that, by the way, science would back up are important ingredients to success. Starter on a losing team or towel waiver on a winning team?
1: Um, I've been both. And uh, I can tell you, you know, as, as playing in the pros and never stepping on the field for the 2006 um, Colorado Mammoth, and except for my role as a guy who is literally like there to like, fight other teammates and get them out of their A game. I loved every minute of it and, you know, I can talk to the guys on our team about not being the alpha male and not being the guy and maybe not being a guy that steps on the field. Um, but it's also great to know that, you know, you, you played a part on the field as well. So again, um, the balance between the two is like most of these questions is, is critical. Um, you know, as a player, yeah, I love being the starter guy, but as a coach I realized what that what that tower waiver, what that excitement guy brings to the team and sometimes it's twice as much as the guy on the field.
0: Balance or specific obsession?
1: Um it's funny, again, like if you asked the younger me, it would be the latter. If you asked the me now, it's just being able to do a lot of a lot of things very well. I think as a head coach in Division One sports, you need to have incredible balance between your family and um, between your work, between what you do, with the way you interact with your guys, how you attack the recruiting, the daily, you know, tasks that you have to face in the office. So, you know, balance for me is is critical. But you do have to be specific. You have to be obsessed with certain things that you do.
0: Fear of failure or fearlessness?
1: Um, I'd say fear. I'd say fearlessness. I think you have to have an edge. I think you have to be able to make mistakes. Like we said before, it goes back to that risk taker mentality. Like you've got to be ready to fall on your face, and when you do, you got to be ready to pop right back up and, and, and get back on the horse.
0: Disassociate from pressure or embrace it?
1: I love it. Absolutely love it. I love, um, you know, walking into environments. I love having our back up against the wall. It's been something that I've, you know, enjoyed and thrived upon my entire life, and, you know, it's, it's fun. I mean, and, and when you speak a big game, when you talk to your guys, when you challenge your guys, you better be ready to step up and perform under pressure. So love guys that can do that and love to think of myself as someone that, that thrives in that environment as well.
0: Awesome. So we're going to end it there uh, that you're off the hot seat and I want to give you just uh, you know, the mic. And is there anything you want to promote as far as the team and uh, you know, Twitter, social media, uh, I'll just give you sort of an open open invitation to the one or two people that might listen to this, and uh, <laughs> and hopefully they'll they'll follow High Point Lacrosse.
1: No, first off, I really appreciate you doing this today. It's been great. Um, and, uh, you know, our High Point Lacrosse Twitter um, handle is phenomenal in terms of just getting a glimpse inside of our program. I think we really do a great job of, you know, sharing some of the things we do as a program, both community service-wise, um, some of the things we do um, you know, academically, a lot of the things we do off the field beyond community service and academics, some of the people that come in and and talk to our guys and have an impact on their lives and just our daily practices. So, um, yeah, that's probably the only thing I want to push, but, you know, just, um, love doing stuff like this. Like I said, I I learn a lot from this and my biggest thing is you you can never, you can never stop learning. And there's, there's incredible messages to be found around every corner.
0: Awesome. Well, I learned a lot from you. One of the big takeaways for me, honestly, is the recruiting the parents. It's, uh, it's something I haven't thought of really. And I think it's something that is easy for us to just gloss over and just say, you know what, uh, I'm just going to try to dodge those bullets. And I think coming up with a plan for them is, is a much better way to go. So Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for your time. I know we spoke for a while today, so I appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking to you again real soon. Okay, Coach?
1: Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, man. We'll catch up.
0: All right. Thanks, Coach.